You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. If you're visiting with us today, we're tracing uh, the development of hope in the life of the Apostle Peter. Peter would say, we have a living hope. And some of us here are thinking, I'd really like to have that too. In fact, we believe God is calling us to have a living hope. And you couldn't study the life of Peter without coming to an event that he would consider one of the most formative events in his life. And that's the transfiguration. Transfiguration, that English word, comes from the Greek word in the Gospels. Metamorpho. Metamorphosis. A change of form. Transfiguration is that moment that Jesus brings his disciples up on the on a hill, and for a moment, everything about him looks different. But that's just the beginning. Because the real point of transfiguration is not what happens to Jesus, it's what happens to you and what happens to me. It's about a change of form. It's about living the new life that God has come in Jesus to give. So let's look at this text. It's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 17. Or if you didn't bring a a, look at the Pew Bible there, if you would, please, on page 798, you'll find Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. And if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. We're reading God's holy word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Well, the transfiguration must have been a really bizarre experience. Uh, it would be bizarre for us, and we've seen computer-generated uh, graphics. But for Peter in the first century to see this dramatic change of form in one of his friends must have really given him pause. But what's interesting is that uh, while Peter would never forget what happened on that mountain, when he retells the story himself... It's, it's not the special effects that he really elaborates on. 
you know, the, the sizzle and pop of electricity, the solar glare off of Jesus' face, the smell of ozone. It's, it's not the drama. It's the simple words that were spoken. It's the words. So towards the end of his life, the Apostle Peter will be writing at Second Peter, and he says, I, I don't know that I'm going to be on this planet much longer. I want you to remember that we heard these words on this mountain, and they should give you hope. It's not what he saw. It's what he heard about God's heart. It's what he heard in God's heart. When the father says to the son, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Peter is struck to the ground with amazement. So what do those words mean to Peter? Well, to get at that, I, I want to um, flip this around just for a moment. And I want to ask you to consider, what do you think the transfiguration might have meant to God. We used to think of it from Peter's perspective, but if you flip it around, you go back stage and you think about what was this all about from God's perspective? I don't think we can really know, but just imagine for a moment. What it I think I got a taste of it uh, this week. Something very dramatic happened in the Hinman household this week. We adopted a dog. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, my wife and I have wanted to have a dog for 22 years. And for a variety of reasons, we have never been able to... We love dogs. Just couldn't pull it off. Kids wanted to have dogs, just couldn't do it. There's been a yearning for a dog in the Hinman home since, their time, since the beginning. There was a Hinman home. And, and Friday was the day. It's also the day I was supposed to be working on the sermon. Uh, and I... You know, I love preaching and um, the privilege, but um, I could not stay focused. I, I was on my laptop at home on my desk, and I opened up a window, one for the sermon and one for a webcam. The, uh, as it turns out, the Seattle Animal Shelter has one webcam on its dog kennels, and the one kennel uh, that its webcam was on is, is the kennel in which our dog was living. And I'm sitting there in, in the afternoon on Friday and I know that in a matter of minutes, that dog's world is going to change. It's this little Havanese dog. And if you know anything about Havanese, you know they're very social, a lot of um, separation anxiety. And can you imagine this dog had been in the kennel for four weeks, which is very unusual. And they do a wonderful job at uh, the Seattle Animal Shelter. Very kind, compassionate people. But they said, this dog cannot be adopted. It was just not adjusting. There had been a trauma in its life. And so I'm watching on this, this camera. And we, by this point, we knew we could adopt this dog. In fact, we knew we had to because he had so charmed us. We were patient. We waited. And, and I'm watching on this webcam. And I'm, I'm looking at him. And he's in this cell. He's lying down. He's standing up. He's pacing back and forth. It's a dark. It's a dingy uh, cell. And um, he's yapping in anxiety, barking. And I don't know if you remember Friday. Some of you, well, that was before Saturday, so no way. But no, you might remember Friday. <laughs> Ask a friend. It was a gorgeous day. Do you remember the sun was shining? At that moment, I, I, I looked at this dark cage and, and, and saw the world of this dog. And then I looked around our home, flooded with sunlight, 
warm and brilliant and shining. I forgot we had colors like this in our home. Open space, so much room for a dog to run. And love, as this dog would run from, from room to room where our family made its home. And I thought, this dog has no idea the truth of its life. And I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for this dog to come through our front door. But before he did, there was going to be a moment, and I didn't want to miss it. And it was the moment that that kennel door opened and one of my family members stepped inside. Somebody from that circle of love was going to step inside that kennel and represent in their face who they really were and what their real world really was. See, I think that's what God feels in the transfiguration. I think the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit said, we've been doing a lot of teaching through Jesus. Let's bring these boys up on top of a mountain. And one little guilty pleasure, just for a second, we're going to peel back the surface of the space-time continuum. And we're going to let them see the glory that is theirs because it's the glory that is ours. And we're going to show them the heart of God. And then we'll close it up. And we'll let them live with that image for the rest of their lives. And the father is sitting there. I don't know how this works exactly. And, 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 and he's looking. He's waiting for the son to bring those three to the top of the mountain. And he wants to see their reaction. And Peter and James and John, they have no clue. You know, another hike with our friend Jesus. He's always so exhausting. <laughs> and then, boom, his face lights up. And there's Elijah and Moses. Because they're, they're there to testify to, to this love. And then there's this voice. And it's the words that throw Peter to the ground in awe. This is my son. This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Booming voice from heaven. This is the heart of a father who sees so much more of your life and mine than we see. He sees who we really are. He sees who we are really becoming. He sees the good in our lives, in his family. Trouble is, we miss it. You may be here, God may have led you here this morning to worship him, to be part of this healing service, because you've never heard this before, that God loves you. I mean, maybe you didn't know there was a God. I don't know how you ended up in church, but you're welcome. You may have thought God wanted to bring you to church if he ever did to judge you and show you how bad you were and how displeased he is with you. And, and, and if you hear nothing else this morning other than, you know what? The heart of the Father towards you is just love. He loves you. Then there's nothing else that needs to happen today for you. On the other hand, you may have heard this before. You may have grown up 
having memorized the verse that the choir so beautifully sang for us just a moment ago. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's the heart of the Father. That whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. You heard that and you know that God loves you. And heaven forgive us for kind of going, what else is new? Because that love hasn't yet really begun to change us. It hasn't penetrated the hardness of my heart. And what God has you here for is he wants to let you know how much he loves you again and, and to give you permission to let that love begin to transfigure something in your life. To change the shape of your life. The trouble is, we miss it. That's why I think Peter's in the story. You can't imagine missing that, can you? But it's true. It's just who we are as humans. We miss it. I, I think it's amazing, and you probably have heard this, that after World War II, there were dozens, if not hundreds, of Japanese who continued to hide in caves and on islands thinking the war was still on. For years, into the 1980s, And there's still rumors of it happening today. 2005 is the last one I heard. I don't know if that's true or not. But in 1951, six years after the end of World War II, a group of Japanese were on an island 75 miles north of Saipan. And the Japanese government knew about it. And they, they couldn't convince them that the war was over. They kept thinking, this is propaganda. So your own people are telling you this. They would not give up the fight. And so what did they do? They, they reached out to the family members of these soldiers and said, would you please write letters? We'll put them in an airplane. A U.S. airplane flew over. Uh, they called it Operation Removal. Because you can go home now. It's over. And it took these letters from these family members to convince them, oh, everything's okay? Yeah, everything's okay. You can go home now. And that's what God wants you to know today. Everything's okay. I want to take you home. I know that you're bruised. I know that you've been hurt. I know that you're shy. I know that your life is filled with anxiety, but I want to take you home. It's over. And see, Jesus um, is the one to whom we must listen. And so the, God, the Father says to Peter, just listen to him. Listen to him that you might hear in him the heart of God. I think Peter's in the story because um, I know I, and I won't speak for you, so oftentimes miss it. Actually, what's so beautiful about this text to me is that there's a comedy of conversations. There are two conversations in this uh, story, and it's, it's told in a way that's actually humorous. And you couldn't really get the message of the transfiguration unless Peter were there. Three gospel writers tell the story of the transfiguration. They all tell it slightly differently, but none of them would dare tell the story without Peter and his clever remark. You just can't, you just can't get the point without Peter's missing the point. Because you and I miss the point. See, Peter's listening to his head. And he's not listening to God's heart. And I'm afraid that's what happens to me too. We pick it up here in verse 4. We begin to see it where it's, uh, it says in our translation, Then Peter said to Jesus, now, our translators have been kind to us, and, and Peter, and they've taken out the humor. The King James, not so much. It's a better translation. It says, and Peter answered and said. And you go, wait a wait. 
Yeah, in the Greek, there's a participle. This is really says answering Peter said. And in, in the translated that way makes Peter look sort of silly. So our translators don't translate it that way. But the fact is, Peter looks kind of silly here because he's answering a question. And did anybody ask Peter a question? No, nobody asked Peter a question. So Peter goes and answering. What is who's what is he answering? He's answering himself, actually. He's in dialogue with nobody but himself. What happens is, basically, you know, Jesus uh, is transfigured. Moses and Elijah show up, and we're told they're having a conversation. And the writer intentionally blanks the substance of the conversation. So we don't hear what they're talking about. We don't know. But it's kind of a Rorschach test now for Peter to project whatever he thinks the conversation that he's involved in is all about. And what does he think? It's basically this. "Uh Uh-oh, we got a problem. I mean, that's what Peter thinks. Uh-oh, we got a problem. He sees these three heavy hitters up here on a mountain. You remember Mount Sinai. And he thinks we should do what they did back then and build a tabernacle where you meet God, a big tent. And I should build three dwellings for one of each. I can solve this problem. And then he says, it's good for us to be here. But by which I mean, I think Peter really means, aren't you guys lucky that I'm here because I see your problem and I can fix it. <laughs> and that's his inner conversation. That's what his head is telling. He's hunting for problems. Mark says it this way, in chapter 9, verse 6, Mark says, Peter said what he said because he didn't know what to say. (laughs) It's always dangerous. (laughs) That's what he says. He he said what he said because he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. See, Peter was anxious. He was living in his head in a world of shadows and monsters and problems, and crises. And i got to tell you, that's the conversation nine times out of ten that runs through my head. And I'm a pastor. I, I, I am afraid. And I'm not afraid of the crisis that's actually happening in the moment. I actually feel like I'm a rather bold person in the moment. I'm afraid of the crisis that could happen tomorrow. And I'm anticipating a thousand things that could go wrong in my life, in the life of my friends, the life of this church, the life of this city, this country. And I'm worrying about it constantly. And that's the dialogue in my head. And that's where Peter's living. But God says, and I think here's the second point of comedy, let me interrupt this conversation for just a moment. And we have to. We have to listen, see, because you can miss it. But God says, let me interrupt. And, and with humor, Matthew continues in verse 5, while he was still speaking. Notice that. I mean, God's a perfect gentleman. The Father, I, I, I'm sure, um, wants to honor Peter, but he does not feel that this message in Peter's head is worthy of continuation. And he says, we're just going to break right in here, Peter. While Peter was still speaking, God says, this, Peter, this, Peter, 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 Peter. Shh, 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 shh. This is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. It's the heart of God. And be thinking, well, good for Jesus, right? I mean, if you're Peter, you're going, I think you're trying to say something to me, but it really seems like you're talking to somebody else, so I feel great about the relationship you, Father, have with you, Son, but I'm over here. And, and, and again, Peter misses the whole point. You may say that indeed this seems like the Father speaking to the Son, that this seems like a conversation to which Peter is not a party. And you'd be right. And that's the power of the moment, that this is a conversation between the Father and the Son. 
but you need to also see to whom it is addressed. The father doesn't say, you are my son, my beloved. He says, he is my son. Who's he speaking to? Peter. And, and no sooner does he describe this family love that the father feels for the son, then he says to Peter, listen to the son, listen to him. See, because the Bible teaches us that you and I are in the son. And the son is in us. And insofar as that is the truth of our lives, then the truth of us is that we are also in this intimate, loving family with the Father. It's a loving family that has existed before the beginning of time, that has yearned to sweep you into its home. You got it made. You live in the love between the Father and the Son. And when the Father sees you, he responds to you just the way he responds to the Son of God. And that's why these three things that are true of Jesus are true of you, too. Secure relationship. You are my son, my daughter. Object of affection. My beloved one. You cause God's heart to thrill. He's delighted in you. With you, I am well pleased. That's what the transfiguration is about. God says, this is my beloved son, and he's right there next to you. He's God with you. He's stepping into your life so that you can be to me everything that he is to me. And when Peter realizes the awe-inspiring truth of that affirmation, he falls down as though dead in terror, which is another way of saying in worship. And Jesus then bends down to him and says, get up. And he touches him. And this is the response. As I said to you before, we have to listen. We have to let God interrupt. And then we have to get up and step into that reality. The words get up would be troubling words if we were still afraid. If you're in a fight with somebody and, and you get slugged in the gut and you fall to the dirt and someone says, get up. It's a hostile conversation. And you're really not interested some of us think that's just what God is about. Well, on the other hand, I think if you were to hear these words the way Peter undoubtedly heard these words after this transfiguration, you'd be hearing them like someone who, say, is sitting in a jail cell. And the door opens and your lawyer comes in and she says to you, the case has gone well. Get up. We're going home. Or you, you would hear these words like someone who's sitting on a hospital bed and your physician comes in and he says, the procedure was successful. Get up. We're going home. Or maybe like somebody in the U.S. Embassy right now in Cairo, the ambassador coming in and saying, the negotiations went well. Get up. You're going home. 
If you and I are going to be transfigured, we need to hear what God is saying to us in Jesus Christ, disclosing his heart, and then we need to get up into his love. Shut down what we're hearing in our head and open up what we're hearing in his heart. This is what it means to be alive in Christ. This is where the hope is found. We don't, please do not hear get up as an invitation to get up and get your life in order. That's his job, not your job. God doesn't want anything from you except for you to know how much he loves you and to welcome you into a new home, a new family, to put you right in the heart of who the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are. That's really what healing is all about. The role, the assignment of the Holy Spirit, your helper, is to take everything that belongs to Jesus and so reveal Jesus to you in such a way that it becomes yours, to impart it to you. To know the joy, the life, the love, the freedom of living in this family. And so that's what we're, uh, that's what we're doing this morning. This is, it's one of many ways that we can get up in His presence, um, and be His people. You know, it's so interesting to me that Jesus doesn't pull Peter up and then James up and then John up individually. And my theory about that is because It's only a family who can receive this love. Because God is three, a holy family. So he brings three up the mountain so that they will be able to live out this love and share it one for another. And that's what we do corporately right now. All of us need to be healed. And so all of us will be here as those who are prayed for. But all of us get to be healers. And so all of us, we will pray for one another, the people who come forward and the people sitting on your right and your left. Let's not underestimate the importance of this moment. You say, George, I've prayed for healing before. This thing that's been dogging me and God hasn't healed. I don't, it's hard for me to believe in prayer anymore. Well, I want to tell you what. Whether God answers your specific prayer, sometimes he doesn't or not. You are being transfigured. You are being made in the likeness of Christ. You are being healed. The Apostle Paul said, three times I prayed that the Lord would remove this thing from me. We don't know what it was. But he didn't. What he did here was the Lord saying, my grace is sufficient for you, which means he may not have given you the miracle you asked for, but he is giving you the miracle you need. You're being changed. You're being healed. Sometimes he wants to use that ailment in your life for the bigger transformation that's going on. Something else needs to change. I know for me, I, I believe God is transforming me. And I, you know, I got to tell you, it's too little. It's too slow. He's taking too long. But let's not be mistaken. He's changing each and every one of us. He's healing us. Let's be the people of God and just be quiet before him in prayer, receiving prayer and offering it in the name and the powerful name of the beloved son. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.